1: I used to say that I've never been addicted to drugs or alcohol or anything like that. I've always been more addicted to people and I thought that was romantic, but I guess not. <laughs> I guess it's just a problem. <laughs> Hey besties, (laughs) welcome to a brand new episode of Almost Adulting where we are finally closing the month of June which was all about hookups, casual dating and all those things so today we are closing with a more serious type of episode where we get to learn about attachment styles and all of that as we dive into (laughs) July which is all about love, relationships and dating which I've actually started to do some of that but I'm doing this thing right now where I'm not going to dive into it yet because I don't want to jinx it and to be honest I'm continuously hyping up all these men only for them to let me down so I've learned my lesson to not hype any more men (laughs) for a while so uh that's that so besties the reason I'm giggling is because right now I am locked in the bathroom I locked myself in here in the Dubai airport because it's noisy everywhere else at this airport and I couldn't find a place to record the intro for this episode, Um, (laughs) which is why I didn't even introduce myself. So yeah, welcome to Almost Adulting with me, your host, your bestie, the one that fucks up all the time and always having little mental breakdowns, but then she's like, everything's fine, you know, because feelings are passing, so it's okay to cry and all that. My name is Viola Benson. (laughs) Welcome. So. By the time you guys hear this episode, I will finally be in Greece, hopefully living my best life, not stuck in the Dubai bathroom. So like leading up to my trip, I've been planning this now for about over six months because I don't really get to travel. You know, having a child back at home, it's very hard for me to travel. My child is my cat. Yes, I do live in Los Angeles. So that is who we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So right now my parents are staying in my house taking care of my cat. God knows what they're up doing there. I have cameras all over my house, but I'm making sure not to look at them because I don't want to catch my parents doing anything I don't want to see. Leading up to this trip, I've been super excited. I've been ordering super cute clothes, planning outfits. I even started a diet that I didn't follow. I actually gained weight prior to this trip, so that was exciting. I was so excited for my hot girl summer trip of the year, but then I started thinking about it, and I realized that fuck hot girl summer we've been through a lot together and on our own just in what's been happening from this week to last week to over the last two years you know it's been a lot so even hot girls like us we deserve a break okay and we're already hot by working on our mental health so i decided i want to focus more on having a healing girl summer and i want to encourage all of us to be doing that instead of focusing on all the bs I'm genuinely just focused on being the best and healthiest version of myself even if that means having random breakdowns at the dubai airport all my friends are flying to greece separately from me and they all said violet fly with us and i said no i want to fly on emirates i've heard a lot of good things about this airline i want to fly with them and they said violet they stop at dubai that's so out of the way it makes no sense just fly with us and i said no I will fly alone and I will love it because I'm so independent. I don't need to fly with anyone. They're like, are you sure? It's like a day extra that you get stuck flying. And I'm like, no, I'm going to love it. Anyway, my friends were right, (laughs) which I hate to admit. So, of course, I have my quick little moment where I decided to get upset over the consequences of my actions and decisions, so I cried about it a little bit, and then I'm like sitting there. I put on sad songs, sad music. I just downloaded some new songs. Um, I'll tell you exactly which songs: "Good Stuff" by Grief, mm, that really hits the spot. "She's All I Want to Be" by Tate McRae, "Always Been You" by Jesse Murph, a bunch of other songs. Oh my gosh! Wait, there's this one that's so good. Out of Reach by Gabrielle. That's my favorite one. Anyway, so I start listening to that. I'm just looking at the airport and I start crying. And where I'm sitting, there's like three other available chairs. And when people start trying to sit next to me, I look at them, full eye contact. And then I start bawling even harder because they're looking at me and I start crying. And then as they're looking at me, like they don't know if they should break the eye contact or not, I start laughing, like giggling laughing because it's also funny, like, you know, because I know what I'm doing is silly obviously they can't read mine so they don't understand what's going on in my brain where I'm like haha I'm just being so silly and cute they're like is she okay she went from crying to laughing in two seconds oh my god now she's crying again why does she keep staring me so I kid you not every single person (laughs) that tries to sit next to me looks at me gets weirded out and just takes their stuff and leaves and not gonna lie I should be embarrassed but I talk to myself for a living so how embarrassed can I actually be I'm literally sitting in a bathroom right now with the door locked talking to myself so no I'm past that point so instead it made me laugh more and that kind of made my day better and then I felt better but that's what I love about crying now is I've learned took me forever to learn this but you know better now than ever the fact that how it is necessary to have those moments where you're crying or a quick little breakdown where you want to pity yourself feel sorry for yourself you know pity party of one obviously those other people that were trying to hang out next to me were not invited and they figure that out real fast but i realize now that no those emotions are necessary but then what's important is to allow yourself to feel and then to move on especially if those if you're not dwelling over something really big like i could have allowed it to ruin the rest of my day but no i gave it a little bit because it was so minuscule, and then I moved on, and it felt good. So those are the moments that I really, I can feel like I see my growth as a human with feelings. (laughs) I sound like a robot, which is all part of, you know, Healing Girl Summer. But no, like, I'm not gonna suddenly, you know, next week on the episode, I'm like, okay, guys, here is how you can make your perfect green juice. Start with seven different types of greens. No, I'm not gonna do that. For me, it's just mental health and growing as a person. I guess sometimes we end up only learning this, at least for me, in your 30s, I guess. Anyway, with that being said, I will definitely still be doing my healing on a boat in Greece. Will I be paying for that? No, because I'm already paying a shit ton of money for everything else. So I kind of said, all the guys are with us because we're going with a bunch of our male best friends, like I've known since high school for my friend's wedding. So I kind of said... They should feel so lucky to have my titties in their face on that boat. And most likely, a titty will slip when I'm jumping or doing something. So it's like a free titty show for free. But by the way, there's no such thing as free. So let me on that boat. <laughs> I'm just excited to be at that little boat with my little drink in my hand, scoping out for some hot dudes on the other yachts. But I just feel like summer is something that is so looked forward to every single year. And then it's over. And then we look back at it kind of like a teenage movie, and we always have summers that stick out in our heads. And that's why I wanna be able to look back at least at this one week vacation. I'm only going to Greece for one week and then back to work. I mean, even right now I'm working. And I just wanna feel good about it and about myself. I don't wanna feel bad about myself when I put on a bathing suit because I ate too much at the airport or I'm super constipated and have IBS from the trip. I don't wanna do that. I wanna feel good when I look in the mirror, I wanna soak in the sun. I want to sip on my little drinks and i wanna enjoy my little yacht. And I want to have a summer that I can remember because I felt good about myself and I enjoyed the company that I kept. And hopefully you guys can do the same and we'll continue to heal together because I think this is why we call it uh, almost adulting. Am I right? I just like the name of this podcast. Anyway, with that being said, I do want to get into my amazing guests I have this week without spoiling too much we are getting to all things attachment like i said in the beginning we are unpacking different attachment styles and figure out why we are so standoffish and such little cunts (laughs) sometimes towards men or women and why we follow some of them around like lost puppies like what's it about this guy that's not into me that i'm so into oh probably because it feels familiar boom but we'll talk about it on this episode it's a lot to figure out but i believe in you bestie okay love you enjoy this episode Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Almost Adulting with me, Viola Benson, your host. So today I have my special guest is Jessica Baum, who I just asked to pronounce her last name for me so I wouldn't get it wrong. I think I still got it wrong and she felt sorry for me, but that's okay. Anyway, she is a licensed mental health psychotherapist who has dedicated her whole life to helping women empower themselves. She's the founder of the Relationship Institute of Palm Beach and the online coaching organization, Be Self-Full. Both organizations allow Jessica to help her clients establish healthier relationships, but Be Self-Full allows her team to help individuals across the world. If online coaching isn't your thing, you can still benefit from Jessica's wisdom because her new book, Anxiously Attach, which talks all about building solid and secure relationships, is out for pre-order now. Welcome.
2: <laughs> Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me.
1: Of course. Okay, so based on your book, obviously my questions for you first were inspired by attachment styles. I think a lot of people don't really know what they are, don't even understand that they and their partners can be different attachment styles. So can you describe what an attachment style is and how many are there?
2: I think that the public is becoming more and more aware of this. I say knowing your attachment style and your partner's attachment style is like more important than knowing your horoscope because really knowing your attachment style is a blueprint as to how you will handle conflict. There are four categories and they're embedded patterns. So there's secure, there's a secure attachment style, which makes up a huge portion of the population. There's anxious, which is the one that I kind of geared the book around, but it's really for anxious and avoidant because... There's also avoidant. So anxious and avoidant are very similar, but respond to pain and trust in the opposite way. And then there's disorganized, which happens to have a little bit of both. Essentially it's a pattern that we get embedded into our nervous system and our thoughts tend to kind of correlate with our attachment style and how we get our needs met in terms of co-regulating with our primary caregivers and how we learn to kind of either raise up the volume if we're scared or shut down or trust others, all starts in early developmental years. And what we don't realize as an adult, we still bring these patterns with us. So like a small part, like our, our inner child, so to speak, but our nervous system responses, our fear responses, our attachment needs, aren't the strategies that we're using when we're younger end up being the strategies we end up using in our romantic relationships. And a lot of people are like, but what, my childhood was perfect or this or that. The truth is there's a lot of attunement and co-regulations and things that happen in early developmental years that could impact your relationship right now and how you connect or deal with disconnection.
1: Basically then you would say there are four attachment styles. To confirm though, you can have different attachment styles with different types of relationships. Like, for example, with your family, you can have secure attachment style while dating. You can have anxious attachment style. While with friends, you can have avoidant attachment style. Is that correct? Or is it kind of the same attachment style all around?
2: Oh, that's a very complicated question. Usually you have a baseline when it comes to intimate bonds. But attachment is a two-way street. So if you are more anxious, let's say, and you feel secure with your family relationships, your anxiety is not going to show up there. But if you date someone who's really avoidant, your anxiety might be spiked in that relationship. Or if you are a little bit more avoidant, but your family kind of doesn't smother you or gives you a lot of independence, but you have a friend who's really dependent on you or whatever, your, your attachment can show up in different relationships depending on the other person's attachment style too. So you usually have a baseline somewhere and certain people can bring out um, different patterns inside of you. It's a two-way street, but you have usually a tendency towards one way when you're scared.
1: Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Even
2: a secure person could feel anxious if they partner with someone who's really avoidant. Like that's a normal response when someone shuts down for three days or you know, disconnects a lot, like it's going to make anyone feel anxious because we're wired for connection. So, you know, people are confused. I feel really secure, but this person's making me feel anxious. It's because it's a two way street and certain behaviors are going to make anyone feel anxious or anyone feel overwhelmed and smothered. So those patterns can still come up. It doesn't mean that you have the attachment style in every relationship. It just means the combination of you and that person can bring things up.
1: Oh, everything you explain makes so much sense because I'm pretty sure I have avoidant attachment style. And I thought that with my family, I have secure attachment style because I feel so secure, but it's because they know me so well, they give me space. But then when you describe the friendship stuff, when it comes with friends, sometimes if I feel suffocated, just like an instinct to just be like, Okay, enough. But I thought that it was still me being secure and them just being anxious or something, and that's why they're suffocating me. Versus like I just feel
2: suffocated because I have avoidant attachment style.
1: Yeah, and so it's, interesting. it's
2: really cool that you're aware of that and the feeling of feeling suffocated or overwhelmed is your alarm system saying this is too much for me. I have to pull back, and that's probably a familiar feeling for you from really early on. And so working with that feeling and will give you a capacity to not feel so activated when somebody else is anxious
1: it is weird though because i think like you just said earlier how you can even have a perfect childhood not that i had a perfect childhood but you can have a perfect childhood and you can still have one of those attachment styles because i think growing up i love attention and i didn't get attention from my father growing up so you would think i would have the attachment style where i need love so much and instead it's like I have a hard time with intimacy and I kind of just run away.
2: You have so much insight. And I think that it's really two sides of the same coin. It's not wrong or right. It's just kind of your awareness around, wow, the intimacy is scary for me because I never learned to trust it. And so your kind of baseline might be, if I trust this person, they're going to let me down anyway. And an anxious person is like, well, if I trust this person, they're going to leave me anyway. So the trust is distorted in both and um, plays out by either grabbing on or pushing away because there's such a big fear that being left is at the core of, of both of those
1: that makes sense so technically avoidant and anxious styles they both actually fear intimacy they just react differently because most likely people with anxious attachment styles, as much as they think they want love so much they will probably choose partners who will feel familiar where they kind of won't give them the love so they'll feel the anxiety because that feels familiar so they'll keep running after the loved one but in reality they probably were with somebody secure it would take them a second to actually receive all that love right
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah and the charge between anxious and avoidant which is a lot of what I talk about in my book is a little bit higher and so sometimes the dynamics play out a little bit more in those relationships and anxious people like to think that they have a high capacity for intimacy and they have a higher capacity for intimacy but sometimes it's confused with the need to merge their energy a lot and and get really really close so it's it's both where they want more connection and they have a higher level of needs for connection, which is valid. And an avoidant person just doesn't need that much connection. They want a little bit more independence and there's no judgment here. But sometimes when you're partnering with someone, you really want to know, do they have the same needs as me? Am I always going to be wanting more or am I'm also going to feel like I can't give them enough because it could be just different level of needs,
1: yeah, I do feel like that. It's weird. I like want intimacy so bad, but then I always worry in the back of my head. Like, I don't want to hurt this person. What if I don't give them enough? That's so funny. That's interesting. You call this um, anxious avoidant dance. Can you kind of describe that?
2: So anxious people and avoidant people like we just talk tend to like attract each other. And even if it's not extreme anxiety or extreme avoidance, there's a dance around intimacy that plays out in most relationships even in the secure ones, but an anxious avoiding dance is where two people come together and they merge and one person either pulls away and the anxious person kind of gets really upset. So they get activated. So, this person pulls away and they calm down their nervous system and then they come back but this person's been activated so maybe they don't want to come back but they come back together and the merger happens and the pull away happens or the anxious person kind of wants more wants more wants more and then the avoidant person pulls back and so they're always in this like dance together of never truly feeling comfortable with the intimacy but like pulling away and coming closer and pulling away and coming closer and they're not always conscious Around it because what an avoidant person gets dysregulated with the intimacy is scary and in the dysregulation they usually shut down or move away and an anxious person gets dysregulated when they feel they might be abandoned so while the avoidant person might just be feeling fear then it kicks up fear on both sides and so this happens subconsciously and so you're both in a cycle of a lot of fear and reactivity that can happen over and over and over and over again until you get really conscious of what's going on, on both sides.
1: Why do you think anxious and avoidant people are so attracted to each other?
2: I think that science shows that anxious people think that avoidant people are steady and calm inside because they don't show a lot of expression on their face and they seem to be really independent And that is a trait that anxious people want. They want security. They want that steadiness. They want that calmness. So that will be appealing. An anxious person is like lively and very vulnerable and um, expresses a lot of emotion. And so sometimes an avoidant person can find that very appealing because they're really in their emotions and they have this animated quality to them, which is the part of the avoidant person hasn't really connected to that part of themselves yet. So it's usually like these opposite traits. Like I see something that I want, I want that steadiness that an avoidant person has, even though inside they're not steady. I want that liveliness or vulnerability that an anxious person has, but they're not necessarily always being vulnerable. They're sometimes just expressing because they're scared. So there's a, like, a calling to what's missing in yourself kind of seen in the other person as an attribute that you admire.
0: That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm,
2: mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable.
0: Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild conquer the weekend in the all-new hyundai santa fe visit hyundaiusa.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details hyundai there's joy in every journey
1: that's so interesting now i'm confused i'm like am i then an anxious person can you be an avoidant person with anxious attachment style as well or is it one or the other
2: you can have protectors so like if i am anxious and i i I would say that based on what you shared, you might have anxiety. So avoidant people have a lot of anxiety. It's just usually not externalized. Like usually you can be anxious and if you try to get connection, 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 your avoidant protector would be like, that's it. I'm, I'm going to move out or I'm going to be on my own or I, I'm better off alone. And those are thoughts that come into play when you're really, really scared and you've tried and you tried and you tried eventually the pain turns into now I'm going to run in the other direction. So I'm either running towards what I want, and if I can't get that connection, then I'm going to run away from what I want rather than being in the uncomfortability of possibly not getting connection in that moment. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think sometimes I'm drawn to people who I think may have anxious attachment style. If I have avoidance attachment style because I secretly, I think, enjoy sometimes running away just for that feeling of them chasing me because it makes me feel like they care about me.
2: You have so much awareness and I think sometimes avoidant people can like, you know, come on strong and then when the intimacy shows up, they're like, whoa, I got to go away, you know, and then it it can be this dance too. so. A lot of the protectors or the wounding or the activation doesn't come on until we hit more layers of ourselves and we, we hit deeper layers of the relationship. So people are often confused. It started out this way and it was wonderful and da 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 da, da and then attachment and wounds show up and all of a sudden we're doing a 180 dance. And that's, you know, that's because the pattern doesn't really show up until something is deeply activated
1: people love, especially on TikTok, they love to define everything now and everyone's a narcissist, a love bomber, dyslexic autistic everything <laughs> like, like do not make eye contact then you must be autistic like it's the worst on tiktok but i have noticed that people try to define love bombing when i was looking at those definitions i started to get anxiety anxious about it because i was like oh my god it sounds like me i didn't even realize i was love bombing but you just explained how avoidant people can sometimes come on strong but then when intimacy happens they kind of pull back which i knew some had to do with that type of attachment cell so i feel like for a lot of people that are out there listening, I think it can make them feel better on if they had a partner that accidentally quote unquote love bombed, or if they're the quote unquote the love bomber like me, it's not even on purpose. Like I really do feel that excitement when I first meet someone. I'm just like, I wanna express how excited I am about them. But then the minute real intimacy comes in, it it freaks me out and I just, it's like like instinct to just be like, whoa, are we moving too fast? Like, am I doing too much? This is a lot.
2: Yeah, and I I would be curious for you to explore what is it that comes up inside of you that sparks the fear, but you're absolutely right. I mean, everybody wants to villainize avoidant people and the truth is avoidant people have a lot of pain inside them too. And I think love bombing can be extremely genuine. And what I mean by this is you can have a lot of feelings in the beginning and most of the time it's not out of manipulation and people who are anxious tend to have A need to feel special and a need to feel like they're the center of someone's world and they have that abandonment wound. So they're more prone to loving that feeling as well because they're getting bathed in some neurochemicals or, you know, serotonin and dopamine and other neurochemicals they didn't get as much as a baby because when you're a baby, you're the one and only right? And you have to remember, we we repeat these in our romantic relationships. So people who didn't feel like they were the one and only will also love the feeling of somebody else making them feel like the one and only. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with this. But both people need to understand this is the beginning phases of a relationship. And when fear comes up, things shift and change. And it's not about anger and blame. It's that fear is literally coming up. And can we start to recognize when that fear comes up and when people pull away or not and what what is really going on underneath the surface rather than just like labeling and blaming everyone?
1: So then me as an avoidant attachment style, how can I start to work towards healing the type of attachment style? Because I don't have to be that forever if I don't want to.
2: No, you don't. Yeah. And I mean, you would partner well with someone who's really secure. So if you ran in the other direction... And you were like, listen, I'm really scared right now. And you could have better communication skills in those moments and they could stay calm for you. That would be a better pairing for you. But also when things come up and parts of yourself are activated, bringing that to someone who can help you understand what's happening for you on a deeper level. Sometimes as a therapist or a coach, it's not always your romantic partner. So partnering with someone Who's not that anxious if you run in the other direction, who can start to see that this is fear for you, communicating that effectively and working with what comes up with you. Because you, avoiding people, have a really good job at like detaching from their past, thinking their childhood was perfect, not really making the deeper connections as a way to protect themselves so they're less likely to go to therapy. But if you could bring it to someone who could help hold the space for what it is that's deeply touched inside of you, it's literally what you don't want to do. But it would be one of the things that would open you up to what it is you're essentially avoiding. Because your avoidance is a protector from your pain. And it's probably avoiding from the deeper pain of being so let down as a little girl, like you shared. So getting in touch with those feelings, unfortunately, we don't always want to get in touch with those feelings. I'm so grateful that you're so transparent and on the other side of the spectrum, because I think both people are suffering and I do a good job of explaining both sides and getting in touch with those old feelings in supportive relationships is what heals. So you being able to re-experience that pain with someone that you trust and can help you navigate that will help you feel less fear around the things that come up, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think a good example that I can give to the audience of someone with a avoidant attachment cell that I think I've done last year that even surprised me and I had to think about what I just did was I just started talking to someone new And out of nowhere, I needed intimacy, but it was obviously going to be false intimacy because I barely know this person. And like, we're FaceTiming and literally we're about to hang up. And as we're about to hang up, I'm like, oh, I, I just have to tell you something. And then I tell this person this one of the biggest secrets of my life that like I share with like two people in my life. I kid you not, the guy was like in shock. He doesn't know how to respond because it's something to just like a very childhood trauma thing and then i'm just like yeah i just had to share all right well i'm gonna go to bed and he like did not know how to respond and then he was just like okay i'm so sorry to hear that i'm like no it's fine and then two three days i just wouldn't talk to him because i just i shared and then i'm just like oh my god okay in that moment it felt good to share but then after that i was just like uh okay i'm overwhelmed this is too much and then i just didn't speak to him for three days
2: but then you came back yeah yeah. So sharing and vulnerability can be incredibly hard, which is interesting because usually that doesn't happen. Like for more avoidant people in the beginning, maybe a little, you felt safe enough with him. And sometimes what happens is when you share and you become vulnerable, it touches that part of you. And then when you meet with that person again, you have to face what you just shared, which is, on better days, easier for you. And then other days, something you probably want to avoid. So they kind of represent that now, too, that pain that you shared. So that's why you're you're not avoiding them. You're avoiding touching that experience or having to deal with that experience again.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me personally, if I share something personal, I don't feel like that means we're closer. It actually irritates me. People suddenly not use it against me. But like bring it up as if that means that now we're going to be attached to the hip forever. Then I'm like, why would I even tell you?
2: Yes, yes, yes. So sharing means that I, they better understand you. Not that you're attached to the hip forever, but I can see how that would feel like, well, if I share a lot for you, you might suffocate and you might place too much meaning on this for me.
1: So moving from avoidant attachment style, if someone is currently dating a partner with anxious attachment style, what can they do to better support that partner?
2: A lot of reassurance, anxious people partner better with people who can handle their anxiety. Anxious people need more contact, they need more time spent together. Actually having more time and a lot of reassurance lowers the anxiety and allows them to be more themselves. So the more reassurance they can get and consistency and transparency and safety in a relationship, the more they will become themselves. Of course things are going to get activated from from time to time but telling them things like even though your anxiety is high i care about you or i love you right now or i can't talk about this right now but it's important to me how about after dinner when they're activated they feel like they're gonna like if they don't resolve it right away their anxiety goes up and we can't resolve things all the time right away but we can say hey this is really important to me can we come back and visit this or you know and then the anxious person can work on self soothing or self regulating, which is a lot harder for an anxious person. Avoidant people need to work on co regulating, but anxious people sometimes don't have self regulating tools. So they might have to call a friend or support system and eventually learn to regulate the anxiety. So it's harder for them to wait. So giving them reassurance around conflict and, and helping them, giving them even more reassurance about how you feel about them. If you can do that, that will help an anxious person become more secure. (laughs) It sounds like a lot. (laughs) For you, it would be a lot. And for you, it would be good to know when someone's really anxious and needs a lot from me, that feels overwhelming. Their needs feel overwhelming for me. And so what does that bring up inside of me? that I get so overwhelmed by their needs, right?
1: It's weird because now that looking back with my ex-boyfriend, for example, we were on and off for seven, eight years, and I couldn't breathe without him i remember when i was younger early 20s when we started dating and like literally when i would be at university if he was just like hey let's hang out i drop everything and i would just drive to his house when he'd break up with me i would just be laying in bed crying and i wouldn't I i feel like i couldn't move without knowing that we're okay and i don't know what something changed in me towards the end where I just stopped maybe caring or stop feeling and I think I somehow became more detached but now it suddenly feels more that I'm more suffocated now with people but it's always been more me feeling suffocated I would say with friends versus with love partners because I may be finding other partners who are also Avoidant like me. I think only recently I started dating partners who were anxious attachment style because it was nice to finally be chased. Versus when I date avoidant attachment style people, we're both like, okay, never mind, bye, and then we both
2: just go. Yeah, I mean, I I like that you're bringing this up. Like, I I can't speak to your last relationship, but there are these push and pulls. And if you, if he was more avoidant than you, or would abandon you in a certain way, would activate you to fight, flight, freeze, collapse and eventually enough of that you might learn helplessness and detach because it's just too hard to stay in connection with someone like that. So there's a help, you know, there's a healthy degree of detachment that might have happened with that, but I think what's important to know is that attachment is a two-way street and you can start looking at your attachment with all your close bonds, not just your close relationships you know, someone who's really, really anxious might overwhelm me as well. And I'm anxious and I can hold a lot of space and I have a lot of empathy and I treat this population. But if I'm overwhelmed or if I'm too much is going on in my life, I don't have the capacity to hold that space all the time for everyone else too. So, you know, there's a lot of layers and factors that go on there and we have to be really careful that we're all not, able or capable to hold the space all the time every day for every friend in every way and kind of learning that boundaries are really important on both sides so for you having a friend that might be needy or more anxious but respects boundaries and understands that, that you really do care about them you just can't always show up especially when they're really anxious it's not a safe enough place for you yet because it activates you as well
1: Yeah I've always drawn friends who have anxious attachment styles and it feels like I'm their boyfriend and even though I love them a lot of times it feels like I don't know how to love them enough because like I had a friend that she would literally text me all day to the point that she'd be like what should I put in my salad like which dressing and I was just like oh my god can you not figure even that part out come on.
2: And I have friends who are more anxious than me and I have to give them a lot of reassurance and I think sometimes anxious people want They're the first person to reach out, but they, like, second-guess themselves a lot. So they would prefer someone else, like, validate or help them through every decision. They're the first kid in the class that's going to raise their hand for help, but their work is to build more security in their own decision-making process. And so it can feel like they want your help with everything. I have one girlfriend; she's so great, but she wants my advice with everything. So I I totally can get that that side of it, you know. Um, yeah, and that can be hard.
1: But that's good that you're also validating the fact that. It's normal to not feel like you can hold the space for every single person, every single time. And the fact that you can have anxious attachment style and still feel overwhelmed by another person with an anxious attachment style if they're needing too much because that's why boundaries are important. I think that kind of that validation is really needed for a lot of people because a lot of times you can feel like a bad person or you can feel like maybe you don't give yourself enough space and then you feel resentful. So I think that's really good to also take in that you can't be there for everyone just because you have similar attachment styles.
2: No, and it's really important to know that if someone has more anxiety than you, you're gonna pick up on that. And I mean with her, I tell her, I love you so much. I am not available right now, but what about Saturday or Sunday or I'm trying to be a stepmom and a wife and I don't have the space today or tomorrow, but you're important to me and, and this is important to me or I can help you with X, Y, and Z, but not A, B, and Z because I don't have the time. So I try to be there as much as possible but also and tell her that I care about her and that she's important to me. But I'm limited, you know, I I have a lot of different roles, I have a lot of things going on, and I don't, I know what it feels like to feel like the person doesn't care, but instead of that, you're teaching the person healthy boundaries, like, I do care about you, and you are important to me, I just can't do this right now, and so it gives that calmness around, like, you do care, you just can't be available for everyone all the time.
1: So then how are you able to set boundaries with people without hurting their feelings? Is it just the communication
2: that's necessary? Is that all? Well, I mean, and you brought up a good point. Like you can build resentment if you keep giving and giving and giving. And boundaries, external boundaries is what everybody really talks about. But we have internal boundaries and needs and and internal dialogue that we have to think about. And I think when you're dealing with someone who's anxious or avoidant, but Letting them know, I can't, but you're important to me. I can't, and this is why. Maybe at a different time or, you know, no, I just have too much on my plate right now, but this is about my stuff so they don't internalize it. And you can always be kind about it and honest.
1: Yeah, I mean, that seems so easy. But then what if I'm like, listen, it's just, it's my boundaries. I just can't because I have this and this going on. And then the person can guilt trip you by being like, well, I'm always there for you. And I do this and this and this for you. So how can you not be there for me? That's so selfish. Because a lot of times people don't see your point of view. And you're thinking you're doing the right thing. And
2: they're thinking you're being selfish. So how do you kind of get away from that? They're giving from a place of expecting the exact same thing in return. And I think in healthy relationships, we do expect that that person is going to be with, there for us within reason, but it's not a tip for tat, you know? And so if that person trusted, oh, she's not available today, but she does care about me. And you are like, I do care about you, but I, I am really busy and maybe another day. And they still continue to guilt trip you. They're not really listening to your needs at all. They're making their needs overdrive what you need. And then if you cave, you are going to resent them because you're not listening to yourself. And I would imagine that they're running around and doing a lot of things and not truly listening maybe a hundred percent to what they need, but doing things out of expectation or fear on the other side.
1: I agree with that. I think I've seen that behavior in the past with people with one another where If you do something kind to somebody, do it because you want to do it. Don't do it because you expect something back because then you're just going to set yourself out for disappointment if they don't return the favor, quote unquote.
2: Yeah. But I think when you're talking about romantic relationships, it gets complicated because your partner might not be able to meet your needs, but it's their job. To know about them, it's their job to communicate when they can't meet them. It's their job to be kind and considerate if they're struggling around meeting them. And it, again, it goes back to the, the communication around the, um, the need and the boundary that can be kinder on both sides so that it's less hurtful.
1: This happens to me often and I'm embarrassed to admit, but how does your relationship go from really, really good to really, really bad, super fast out of nowhere?
2: Yeah. And that's a great question. And I think the beginning of a relationship, it's confusing because there's a lot of um, adrenaline and serotonin. There's a lot of chemicals going off and and people put their best foot forward and we tend to idealize the other person. I call it rosy colored glasses. And then as you're moving closer, the wounding actually shows up or the fears, the fear starts to get activated. And once that's activated, how two people are either conscious or unconscious about that and how they respond to that can turn to wow this is the best person in the world so I can't believe this person isn't returning my text and now I'm feeling all my abandonment wounds and I hate them and I never but really you don't hate them you hate what's coming up inside of you or this person is now smothering me and I'm like I don't know I thought I really liked them but now this is like too much for me people think that the relationship has changed but really the wounding or the fear or the attachment has taken place and the reaction to each other's defense mechanisms and automatic responses brings up pain and it's like a dual like a domino effect within the relationship so it can be very confusing and very painful
0: what makes a life a good one is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way
1: I read that a lot of times, especially when two people like each other, always in the beginning, it feels overwhelming and you want to run away. Why do we tend to self-sabotage, especially in the beginning when things are going well? Or is it just me? I don't know.
2: No, it just starts to get scary because if things are going well, that means you might get hurt. So I don't know if you're conscious of that or not conscious of that, but if you're safe places, I don't know. And it gets scarier and scarier. You might your defense might be like, well, let me pull back because I am safe over here. And if I get closer and closer, I might not be safe anymore because, unconsciously or consciously, I might get hurt because this is getting real and my feelings are getting big, and that is very scary. I mean, then scary for anyone. Anxious, avoidant, even secure people. I mean, getting into a new relationship or getting closer to another human is the mirror into ourselves, and it's going to kick up a lot of our own stuff and. It is scary. I mean, there's rejection lying at the base of this or abandonment or whatever, however you want to look at it. It's it's a scary process to let someone in.
1: The only way to kind of move past it and not go from super good to super bad is just by being self-aware that you are reacting to old wounds and things like that and just kind of stop.
2: You can't stop. So there are automatic responses in your nervous system, but you can change the narrative that comes up in terms of, well, this must be fear instead of projecting it all onto the other person or they're too much. This is my fear coming up. And I think, I mean, you said, you know, what are the things that you can do? I think your expectation, this is all good. No, this person's going to hurt you. This person's going to bring up pain. They're not going to be perfect. They might seem perfect in the beginning, but eventually they'll un- unintentionally hurt you. Pain is pain, rupture and repair and conflict are in normal stages of a relationship, is actually what we need to happen in the middle of a relationship to get closer to another person. So I think setting up realistic expectations because our society does not set us up for that. They set us up for romantic love, and it's going to be a portal of bliss and the truces getting conscious in your relationship is actually when you start to look at yourself and do your work while finding a partner that's hopefully doing their work too. And that means it's going to be hard. It's not going to be smooth sailing. And sometimes you can't get conscious without somebody else kind of pointing out the behavior is actually coming from this deeper place, or this is what, and that's where a therapist or a coach would come in. Someone who really understands attachment theory, but, kind of helping you stop repeating the same behaviors and attaching a narrative to it and start to see that these behaviors or responses are embedded attachment things and starting to unpack that and gain awareness around that so you don't keep re-injuring yourself or somebody else.
1: How is the nervous system related to our relationship?
2: Our automatic nervous system, which gets laid down as we're babies, we don't have a, a parasympathetic system yet. In We have a sympathetic system, which is fight, flight, freeze, sometimes shut down, but shut down usually goes into a different part of the system. When we're scared, our system is constantly scanning the relationship or the room or anything for cues, whether it's your partner on your phone or a roll of the eye or no eye contact or whatever. We all have inner and outer cues that are constantly scanning to see is this safe. And the second something doesn't feel unsafe, which literally can be your partner picking up the phone and paying more attention to the phone than you, there's a cascade of internal things that can go on that are all nervous system responses. Fight, flight are usually the first ones, like a defensive mode. You don't care about me. You don't love me. Heart rate goes up. Blood gets pumping. We get activated. We're not in a calm, open place of receptivity. But now we're like looking for how this person doesn't care about us. And our whole body language changes. Everything shifts. And sometimes if we're really upset too, instead of fighting, we can shut down. And so that's another, like, I'm feeling overwhelmed right now or scared, and my system is actually preparing for death. It's an archaic way of surviving. And the truth is we don't have control over that, and sometimes that's not happening in a direct reflection to what's happening in the here and now, but something's cueing us to make us feel like something is unsafe so it's getting really curious about what those inner and outer cues are for you and your partner so you can better understand you know what activates these these feelings of not feeling safe essentially
1: Is it possible to get addicted to someone? I would say yes.
2: <laughs> but what do you think? Absolutely and I think like drugs, alcohol, people release neurochemicals in your brain and so you can want a feeling that you got from the beginning and you can stay in a relationship for a really long time trying to recreate the feeling that you got in the beginning of the relationship and I see this happen a lot especially with anxious attachment and they love that feeling of the love bombing and the high and all of that and they miss that merger and that closeness so there can be a, what a lot of people call intermittent so sometimes you get that feeling and then you don't and you're like waiting around for that feeling which sounds like your your first relationship the seven you You're one on and off but like you kind of get it and then it goes away and then you get it and then it goes away and this sense of like there's no steadiness or security or a uh, reliability here so yeah I mean there's different levels of how we get addicted we can also try to Heal our trauma through another person, and that can actually work with a lot of support, but it also can be us recreating our trauma over and over and over again without the right support. It can be a quite miserable existence. I used
1: to say that I've never been addicted to drugs or alcohol, anything like that. I've always been more addicted to people, and I thought that was romantic, but I guess not.
2: <laughs> I guess it's just a problem. <laughs> I think it's just human. I think you're just, you know, really human. I think we have. Charges with different people and I think when we have something that we like we want more of it and that's just being a human and having Human nature to gravitate towards pleasure and run away from pain. So I wouldn't be too hard on on yourself I'm sure you're not alone I'm sure every single listener can fully relate to that at some point in their life I mean, it's why I wrote the book was for my 20 year old self who you know really needed this book
1: If my nervous system is reacting to someone who is giving me really high highs and really low lows, how do I break away from that, which was me and my old relationship?
2: So, I mean, I think working with someone when the lows are there to discover how the lows are not always about them. So the lows could be activating something very deep inside of you and the highs could be you feeling that all those chemicals and idealizing them. So I'm hearing like idealizing and then crash idealizing and then crash. So working with someone to help you take the feelings that you're getting from these different States with this person and start to identify them more into your whole picture and start to understand why you're gravitated to the feel-goods and what's really, really coming up when it feels so horrible. And then it's not about him anymore or her. Now it's about the feelings that are coming up inside of you and you're able to like put a little bit of space in between this person and what's coming up inside you. And that's where the addiction becomes more like, oh, they're bringing up this stuff, whether positive or negative, and I'm connecting it to all these other things. So it's not... Really a hundred percent about him or her so you start to kind of build different levels of awareness around it and Not personalize it as much or use it as I, I say in my book as a flashlight in to your own healing
1: What would you say healthy? Chemistry is and how do you tell the difference between your nervous system being activated
2: Depending on how much chaos you had in your childhood or neglect or trauma, you might be unconsciously or consciously attracted to someone who's unavailable and that can charge, can feel exciting and alluring. And sometimes you don't even realize that you're doing that when that person doesn't text you back or when they're not there and you're like, oh, this is more exciting now. That's a red flag for anyone who's anxious. Like, you shouldn't be excited because someone's not available, and I think another red flag is when someone's over available and they're just telling you, you know, they they want to do everything with you and da da da, da 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 da. So it's like building intimacy happens slowly, and I think looking at what is actually charged inside of you. I mean, we can be attracted to opposites, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like my husband, like lives on the edge, and he's a little bit different than me. And and in some ways that's helped me loosen up a little, but you don't want to be picking people because you're trying to prove yourself worth through them or that you're getting excited because you think there's someone that you want to attain or catch or, or, or be with. You want to find someone who's consistent and reliable and revealing themselves in a pace that is comfortable and mutual and attuned to you so, yeah, I mean, checking the charge, you know, if, if this person doesn't text you back right away, if you're anxious, but maybe they let you know I'm busy or tomorrow and they're able to give you some sense of security. Or if, if you're avoidant and this person and you're able to say, you know, I'm busy right now and they're OK with that, like they start to respect your space and your independence and it doesn't kick up their anxiety. It would be a good indicator that that's a good match for you. It might not validate your need to feel chaste or valuable, but it might be like, wow, this person isn't going to be upset if I take a step back. I think
1: when we have conversations like this and... People try to relate it to their situations. And let's say they just started talking to somebody, it's been a week, and they need that person telling to text them every day because they have the anxious attachment style. Now they're listening to this podcast and they're like, Oh, I have anxious attachment style. So my partner should understand versus, oh, I should work on it a little bit and not expect too much from someone. So instead they're like, That person should be understanding. This is my attachment style. It is what it is. So then they're going to expect the partner who barely knows them to let them know, hey. I can't speak on the phone right now. I will talk to you tonight. The other person is not going to do that because it's like, bro, I've only known you for a week. This is a lot for me. You know, I think it's this expectation. Suddenly people think. Other people are going to communicate with you so quickly when in reality, like, we just met. I'm not going to tell you that you are overwhelming me or, like, I'm not going to tell you that I have plans later on because I don't know, like, I don't owe you that.
2: That's a really great point. And it's, the truth is it's both. So in the beginning, you don't owe them. Knowing that you need extra connection or reassurance or a good amount of exchange is something you might want to disclose at some point in the relationship when there's enough safety for it. But an uh, anxious person also has to work on their anxiety so it's not like oh I tell my partner this is what's going on for me and now they're responsible for my anxiety anxious people are responsible for their own anxiety but if you tell your partner that this is what's going on for you a caring loving partner will try to help you and not specifically try to hurt you so if it's not a big deal for them to shoot you a text or it's not a big deal for them to give you that extra reassurance because they are more secure they will help you build that security but they are not responsible for making you feel secure so you know it's it's a really good question because it's, it's twofold you want your partner to understand your wounds but you don't want to make your partner responsible for healing your wounds just like if someone suffocates you you might get really upset with that person and run in the other direction, but the truth is they didn't really probably suffocate you that much. They brought that up inside of you for you to do the work and you can lose someone because you're running so much in the other direction because of the feeling when maybe that's not really what you wanted, how you wanted the relationship to end.
1: How do I recognize if there is currently an unhealthy pattern in my love life?
2: Yeah, so I mean I think you can start to look at what you repeat And so if you're repeating the same thing over and over again, it's inside of you, not outside of you. It's just being played out outside of you. And so kind of exploring what are these patterns that I'm repeating and starting to get to the sense of what's going on inside of me when these patterns happen. What needs am I trying to meet outside of me and how can I start to do some of the inner work? I truly believe that healing happens in relationships that are healing that allow you to do the work with them. So if it's not your partner, it's a therapist or a coach or someone who can really sit with your parts that are playing these out and help you understand the origin so you can resolve them internally so you don't have to always repeat them externally.
1: So that's how you would say you're able to break that cycle, just starting to become more self-aware that you're like, oh my God, I'm dating the same person over and over again, just in a different body.
2: You're not dating the same person. You're playing out the same patterns. It might be a little bit different from each person to the next, but how you receive love, how you deal with feelings of suffocated or anxiety are going to show up in every relationship. Um, some relationships are going to be more forgiving, but your patterns are yours and they're <laughs> yours to heal. And the relationships that you can be more conscious with your partner are are beautiful places for co-healing and safe havens. And if you don't have that, your patterns going to a professional and start to healing them with someone else will prevent you from repeating them again.
1: Got it. Why would you say you think space is so important whether you are any type of attachment style? And I know you love
2: space, right? I love it. Well, if you're really, really anxious, space is important, but it's really important to give that person safety around this space because they have a deep fear of being alone. So space can mean a lot of things. You're going to reject me. You're going to abandon me. You're not going to, you know, it can bring up a lot of fear. But I think knowing yourself and being relatively comfortable with yourself and if you're not having the support that can help you be with yourself will help your relationship breathe. Later on. So, if you're not comfortable with yourself, you could end up smothering your partner. So, doing the work around your loneliness wound, your abandonment wound, or how scary it might be for you to be idle with yourself, with supportive people, will help you show up in other relationships and not have to hang out in the relational space all the time. So anxious people want to be here, and they're not comfortable over here. And avoidant people don't really always want to be here, they're only comfortable over here. So that's where we have, they need to be more comfortable in the intimacy and the co-regulation where anxious people have to learn how to self-regulate and be comfortable a little bit over here. And the dance is that we're comfortable in both, being really close together, also having space. Being really close together and also having space. But if there's a lot of wounding around either side of that, you can see how that can get very complicated.
1: Is that kind of like the power struggle that you've talked about in the past, or is that something different?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the power struggles phase is what we think, oh, I want date night, or I want this, or I want that. and now We have all these surface level things that we think that we're fighting about, but a lot of it unconsciously is these unmet needs. You, We need all this space and time, and you don't care about me, or you know, these things that we're projecting out and really, you know, you might need more space to yourself. And that doesn't mean that you don't love your partner or I might need more one-on-one time together, you know, and that doesn't mean that I'm needy, but it's like knowing what your needs truly are. And the power struggle phase can be a beautiful phase of if you really get conscious of negotiating and understanding each other's wounds and needs and coming up with sometimes solutions and sometimes the solutions just understanding like I can't meet all your needs you need more time with me but I care about you how about this or I understand that you feel overwhelmed right now I'm able even though I have anxiety to give you that space because I care about you
1: be self-full is a company that you founded to provide tailored coaching services to empower women what does it mean to be quote unquote self-full
2: so I worked a lot with codependency and I would tell people you have to learn to be a little more selfish. You just you gotta learn how to take care of yourself a little better. You're giving yourself away because you want love. And and they would look at me and they're like, selfish. And I was like, okay, think of it as selfful. You gotta fill your cup up first. We gotta we gotta shift the, the dynamic here. So, you know, I started using selfful with people who really are self-sacrificers. And they learned as a child to self-sacrifice to get their needs met. And they need to learn how to meet more of their own needs and understand that meeting other people's needs is coming from this caretaking behavior or a way of self-sacrificing that is really an adaptation to survive. And they always would tell me, oh, I attract really selfish people. You know, and, and I think selfless and, and selfish are both, and I talk about this in my book, they're both protectors and they're both survivors' stance. You really want to be self-full and that's in the middle.
1: That's interesting. The way you were explaining it almost feels like you were hinting that anxious people feel like they're selfless and then avoiding people can be a little selfish. But Me, as someone who potentially could be an avoidant person, I do tend to sacrifice myself overly for people and do a lot of things for them in order, I think, maybe to avoid the intimacy part where they don't expect too much emotionally. So I'm there for them in other ways. But then I do think I then tend to attract anxious style, attachment style people who do tend to be selfish because they need so much for me. But maybe they're not selfish. They just need a lot. So I don't know.
2: No, that's really interesting. I I think it's two sides of the same coin. They need a lot from you, but they need the very thing you can't give them, right? And so you need something from them, and it's the hardest thing that they to give you is space and and freedom. So like it's it's not that you're not giving, and both are self sacrificing, but they're both you. What you're able to give isn't really what they want. You're able to do a lot of things for them, but maybe you struggle with being, like you said, emotionally available for them they struggle with being emotionally available with themselves. So yeah, both are self-sacrificing in, in weird ways. And I think anxious people can say that a lot of people are selfish. The truth is people aren't really selfish or we're all in some state of survival and it's easy to project if they're not giving as much or if they're over giving that, that it's a, that they don't love me. Right. And so we all have different needs and capacity to show love and, you know love is something that we need to give without as much expectation or understand what our how does our partner actually show love
1: so how can we be self-full without closing ourselves to the idea of love
2: so i mean self-full is all about love so self-full means i get to be me and love myself and honor my needs and you get to be you and honor yourself and and meet your needs. And I'm going to tap into authentically what I need and you can too. And if we can't meet each other's needs, we're going to understand that from a place of compassion and a deeper understanding, but I'm going to stay truthful to myself. And like you said, you kept self-sacrificing and you feel like, well, it would be not to self-sacrifice. But to lovingly say, this is what I can do, this is what I can't do, but I do care about you. And then to be in a partnership where someone actually lets you do that dance and doesn't guilt trip you or smother you or get angry with you, but you're able to communicate it in such a kind way. And it's this compromising of understanding our needs. And I think you're right. I think both selfless and selfish are places of self abandonment. So selfful is about not abandoning yourself either way
1: so is that how someone like me who's highly independent can find a healthy medium between codependency and then hyper independence
2: yeah it's called interdependency it's like wow i can find someone who can let me be uniquely myself and give me the space that i need but i also can trust them enough that they're going to be there within reason and we can make mistakes but I can get space and I can get closeness with them and I can learn to navigate the two and they don't want to change uniquely who I am. And I allow them to be uniquely who they are. And so we learn to trust that even if we're not always in sync or we have conflict that our intention is good and that we can navigate space and closeness together in ways that feel loving
1: when people come to you, how are you able to figure out their attachment styles? Like, do they take a quiz or is it just based on things that they're talking to you about that you kind of have an idea of their attachment style? Like, how do you know? Well, I mean, I have
2: a quiz, but I don't really need the quiz to understand. I do a little bit of homework around childhood. I can also tell the way people book appointments, the way they sit on my sofa, how much they disclose in their first session how animated they are, how closed up they are. I mean, there are so many indicators to where the attachment style is. So there's just so much, you know? I don't know that sitting on this interview, I would have pinpointed you as avoidant. But, I mean, again, they're just embedded patterns. They're not concrete labels that we have to live and die by. But knowing what activates us and, and these things, just by talking to someone a little, you can usually tell... You know, if they run towards the thing that they're scared of losing or if they run away from the thing that they're scared of becoming more intimate with, there's usually a lot of things that we can kind of start to tell when you're sitting with a client, usually on the first session.
1: How would you be able to then categorize me, for example, because I'm curious, because everything you were saying, I can relate to the anxious person and I can relate to the avoidant person. I think I always do a dance where if it feels too close, I run away. But then if they no longer want me, I'm definitely, I think, chasing them. What I consider chasing, like for me, even calling someone is like, I did my part. <laughs> I've done enough. <laughs>
2: would it be OK for me to ask how old you are? 32. 32. I think for you and for me and for everybody listening, looking at what is coming up in my body when I'm running away or what am I feeling like I like being chased, that I'm trying to heal through another person. I want to feel special or I want to feel needed, right? And realizing that those are inner child wounds that we're reenacting in our adult lives, which is totally normal and you are so not alone in that. And so starting to understand where are my wounds and how am I trying to heal them in the external and how can I start to heal and make those connections in the internal so that I'm not always repeating the same patterns out there. And so that takes a lot of courageous conscious awareness and it's actually the relationships in your life even if they're if you struggle with them they're the ones that actually can put the flashlight on where your own work is. And it's kind of empowering to know I can go through this kind of crazy relationship. But in the right context, with the right support, I can use the experiences as a way to do my own healing.
1: Got it. Is there anything you think I didn't ask you throughout this interview? Is there anything you want to add?
2: No, I think you were amazing. And I, I want to thank you for, first of all, getting up so early. And second of all, being so transparent and honest. I think you did a really good job. I think you bring another lens. You're the same side of the opposite coin. And I I talk about both in my book. And I'm so compassionate on both ends. And I definitely think anxious and avoidant Pairings can work, so I just want to say thank you. And I am giving away a free course for online dating if you're anxious and or avoiding, and what to do if you're putting yourself out there so that you know what the red flags are, or what unhealthy chemistry to, so you can get to a, a healthy partner faster. So I'm giving away a ton of free stuff when you pre-order this book and this is what it looks like and i'm just really excited to offer this think it's the book i wanted when i was 25 i mean this is the book that i needed
1: anxiously attached that's the book for anyone listening and not watching this
2: thank you for letting me on and being so open with me i appreciate that
1: of course thank you for coming on where can people find
2: you so, my Instagram is Jessica Baum LMHC. Um, BeSelfFull dot com. That's S E L F F U L L. So, BeSelfFull dot com. Or you can put Jessica Baum LMHC into Google, and I'm pretty sure all my all my web stuff shows up there so yeah instagram and both of my my websites are just put in my name jessica baum lmhc and you can find me and anxiously attached is pretty much everywhere barnes and noble amazon you name it it's 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 listed everywhere so
1: and on your website that's also where people can go to do their uh, attachment style quiz
2: Yeah, I have an attachment style quiz on my website as well. That's on the website. And I think the link that you have for this um, podcast also sends you to a page where if you put the information in and you bought the book, you get a bunch of free things. So one of those, I think, is the attachment style quiz as well. So
1: amazing okay well thank you so much for coming on don't forget to order her book anxiously attached check out her website check out her instagram make sure to follow her dm her if you have any questions dm me if you have any questions thank you so much for listening and thank you so much jessica for coming on
2: thank you for having me bye
1: guys have a beautiful day